we are an ideation design technology fabrication, so we can design and build anything, right? So I have an idea. This is amazing. But then we prototype it, right? We build it. We user test it. And finally, holy moly, it's not as good as I thought. Or maybe it is, but it's being used in a completely different way. A lot of that is having an idea, getting out there really quickly, build it, not paper test, but actually build a working prototype and see what works, right? And being open to the fact that, wait, maybe the idea that I had or we had is not very good or can be improved, right? So you have to be open to that. Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Shaw. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board, who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies, with in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs in digital communications. GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead. It prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real-world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Molly Lenore. Molly is co-founder and president of Moe Inc., a company devoted to the development of technology-driven experiences, installations, products, and exhibits at the intersection of art, science, technology, design, and education. Molly specializes in ideation, design, and creation of technology-driven installations at interactive public spaces. We're talking these really cool exhibits and uh, experiences that you see out in public at corporate events and, and at museums, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So three things you should know about Molly. Number one, she met her collaborator, Joey Stein, while they were both working at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. Molly was a senior new technology artist and was noted for pushing the world-class museum into a new era of immersive multimedia. Number two, Molly's been a guest lecturer at some of the top institutions around the world, including NYU, Harvard Graduate School of Design, Columbia University, Parsons School of Design, and the Academy of Art College in San Francisco. Number three, Outside of her day job, Molly is passionate about LGBTQ plus sports, which she believes can strengthen community and build a bridge between LGBTQ plus folks and the greater community. She has served on numerous boards, including the National Gay Flag Football League, the New York Gay Football League, and the Big Apple Softball League. Molly, I've been inside your incredible studio and seen how your work has made a splash across the country. Welcome to Chief Influencer. Oh, thanks for having me, Anthony. I look forward to this. Well, I have to say being in your studio was a bit like an adult playground, uh, seeing the prototypes and seeing some of the, the exhibits you've created. Um, just some really cool stuff. And I want to kind of talk in a minute about some of your favorites and some of the examples so folks can get a picture of those. But to start, you know, we live in a pretty noisy world. We're, we're all glued to our devices, especially young people, but even those of us who are not so young. And you've built a company that specializes in making immersive exhibits and interactive experiences in the real world, which uplift audiences and connect them with 
uh, a message, you know, whatever message your client's trying to convey. So when you tackle a new project, how do you figure out how to build something that meets your audience where they are? Uh, we spend a lot of time with our partner clients um, trying to figure out what the message is, what the story is, um, and really make um, often uh, um, our partners do a lot more work than they uh, were prepared for. Um, it's not our, we don't want to come in and tell our story. We want to make sure it's their story. So we spend a lot of time on that side, what the narrative is, what the story is. We can do anything. We can build anything. We can code anything. Um, we can create anything. But what is that, right? So um, we spend a lot of time there um, understanding um, what the story is and also who the audience is and hopefully working with our, our partners to um, have a better understanding who their audience actually is, right? So yesterday was Valentine's Day. So um, uh, if I asked you what you um, were going to get your partner and you said everything, anything, that would tell me maybe that's very generous, but um, maybe you don't know your partner as well as you sh could or should, right? So the, our job is really to um, to really narrow down and um, to where you want to go, but also see opportunities that you were not aware of at all um, uh, when you initially started this um, um, uh, endeavor, right? So, you know, your work is out in the wild. Folks may have interacted with it without even realizing it. And I wonder mm -hmm. if you could share an example of one of the um, exhibits or experiences you've created that, you know, folks may even have seen. Yeah, we do work um, all, all over the world, the museums, science centers, art museums, but also um, uh, work for um, Google, AT&T, Diageo, um, large uh, um, Johnny Walker um, made two um, 34 foot interactive whisking, whiskey tasting tables that were absolutely stunning, but they traveled the globe. So anyway, you would sit down at the table and the table would actually know who you were. So there's a facilitator that would walk you through a tasting. And as you tasted, you can tweet and pose real time. So so that that was quite nice. But then on uh, other um, in the museum realm, a uh, piece that we worked on uh, with the American Museum of Natural History um, was Gravity Wall. So we're talking about Einsteinian physics um, uh, to talk about how um, uh, uh, gravity, the, the mass distorts the uh, space time around it. Right. So typically, um, it's shown as a in a uh, book, textbook, you would have a star and there would be a grid behind it and the grid would um, kind of be bulging out, right? Easy enough. I'm an adult. I read it. I get it. But do you really, right? So for this one installation at the American Museum of Natural History, we had a linear animation presentation showing a star going up to a grid and the grid would, the grid would bulge, right? Cool. I get it. There was text and graphics. I get it. But we also created a physical environment of space. So the visitor was the mass, which they are. So they would walk close to this wall. And as they approached the wall, their gravitational field would um, bend that um, wall, right? So holy moly, what's going on type moment for a lot of uh, people. So um, we know from um, our you know, research in educational theory um, that you walk up to, um, I'm an adult, I see an animation, I get it, I'm an adult. I read it, I get it, right? But then they had a chance to actually play with it. And then, oh, wow, well, they've been trying to really figure out how it works. Um, hopefully we'll talk about this later, but cross-generational um, opportunities. Um, for that piece, for example, you would, um, you would have a, um, a daughter and her father walk up to the installation. They would uh, have this physical space. They'd play, for, play with it a little bit. Then oh, I don't they know what's going on. They would read, watch the animation, and then go back, right, and do it together. And the father's telling his daughter, um, what's, you know, talking about how mass distorts the space time around it. 
he was wrong about 90% of what he was telling her, but he was right, that 10%. And that conversation never would have happened. And that empowered him um, as a as a as a um, as a as a father, right? To 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 um, to have this conversation and bond with his um, daughter, which is um, incredibly powerful. Yeah. Well, and when you share that example, right, of gravity distorting, and okay, well, great, we could have a picture in a textbook of a star. What you've described is you made the daughter the star, right? Yeah, she yeah, approaches yeah. the wall, which yeah. which I love because I mean figuratively and literally, right? I mean, yeah. she's now the, the, the star of the exhibit in a way because it's all around her and she's going to be much more curious and engaged like you described and it you know, gets the family involved like in the example you shared with her father. Um, and that's a totally different framing uh, around how we educate people or how we communicate with people is rather than it just be one direction toward them, making it about them and maybe putting them at the center. Yeah, and also giving them different ways. So that's a great illustration of um, um, understanding that people access content in different ways, right? Some people are readers, um, not me. I read a lot, but um, but when I go to um, a museum or science center, I don't read every panel. I have an attention span of a gnat, so I can't do that. So, um, but I understand that some people need to read, some people need to watch a linear presentation, maybe they need a touch screen, they need to interact, right? Some people need something a little bit more experiential, right? Um, uh, all accessing the same content. Some people won't do anything at all, but they'll watch you do it. And that's incredibly um, powerful and impactful, right? So we want to create um, multiple ways for, um, uh, um, for people to access um, the, the stories, the narrative. You said that you have the attention span of a gnat, but I have that, I find that hard to believe because you obviously have to spend so much time on these exhibits. And at the same time, uh, maybe that helps you uh, meet audiences where they are um, it catches their attention quickly. No, I can um, definitely can uh, um, work for three days straight. Right, go down rabbit holes. That's cool. But when I experience, I want to go to a museum. My my my, I don't want to go there and just read the um, the the um, the uh, all the panels. I want I want to experience the art in its purest form. And um, um, I know from the work that we do. When you create something, we have intentions, but once you put it out in the world, it's somebody else's, right? And it's their, they're, they're going to bring their experiences to it and make it their own. And that's kind of how I feel like when I, when I go, right, you know, I experience it and kind of my own terms sometimes too. So I obviously read and I want to know who, who, who um, created these works and stuff like that. But, but um, yeah, I just can jump around a lot. So. Yeah. And as you were saying earlier, people experience things differently. Some people want to watch somebody interact, Very different, yeah. want to do the interaction themselves. Um, you're bringing all of this experience to, you know, something that you're designing for a client. And the client obviously is super invested in what they're bringing you in to, to you know, add life to. Um, it strikes me that it might be sometimes hard to get on the same page with a vision. Can you talk a little bit about that? And is that a challenge? How do you overcome that challenge? Yeah, that's the biggest challenge. Um, just uh, we can design, build, code, anything. But um, I think what we're very good at, where we really focus is um, helping the client partner understand what their what their message is, what their story is. That we spend a lot of time who their audience is, right? Um, cause that's, uh, that's stuff. Sometimes they just, they, they just don't know. So, um, we have to, um, uh, work with them to, to, to really get, get in deep and figure out who this is, this is for. 
Can you talk a little bit about how you figure out who the audience is and how you figure out kind of um, concept that's going to meet the audience that may not be what your client had in mind? Yeah, we take inventory of um, who they who they want, who they think their um, audience is. Um, and then um, we look at um, opportunities to expand their audience. And mo most of our um, partners are really um, keen on that. They want to get a bigger audience. Right? So um, what can we do to, uh, to expand that audience? Um, not in a, not in a um, false way, but, you know, who would be interested in this? And, you know, how, how, can we, how can we make it bigger? One of the things I remember seeing in your studio, and you'll have to remind me the context, was like, like a giant set of teeth, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, that was um, a big mouth. Um, it was a static sculpture that was done for a um, science center in uh, Virginia. Uh, when we went to visit them for another project, um, you know, we saw it and I, I saw it and I became obsessed with this giant 12 foot um, sculpture of a mouth. Huge. Right? Yeah, it's <laughs> just a giant jaw with a mouth open. And I kind of um, was hoping they wanted to teach about um, uh, dental health to kids, right? So that I think they they spent a lot of money on this um, uh, sculpture, but they were really embarrassed by it. it. Didn't do anything, right? I think they had one button below the lip, and he pressed it, and it made a gargling sound, right? And I became obsessed with that. So I um, emailed them every week for two months. They'd send it to us, send it to us, send it to us, send it to us. Then they finally did. So they sent it to us. Eighteen wheeler got it there, um, and when we got it, remember this is a large twelve foot sculpture of a mouth, teeth, tongue, and everything like that. We um, uh, took off all the paint. Right. And then we um, wired it up and then made it an interactive sculpture. So when we painted it, it looked better than it did before. But um, you didn't see any of the technology, but um, except questions would come up the throats and they would present themselves. What is the strongest and the sharpest um, teeth? Right? And then you would physically touch the teeth or eight, eight segments on the tongue and um, you would touch a tooth. And if you're right, you would, hey, you're right. And you get this payoff animation. If you're wrong, you would, you know, big, big red X, right? So we turned this um, a sculpture into something that the community, the museum really didn't like at all. And we made it a star, right? So just taking this pre-existing thing and just kind of looking at it a little different and understanding how, um, uh, I think a little bit better of how the inner the audience would interact with it. So we made those modifications and it was extremely successful. Are there a few kind of like philosophical underpinnings or pillars that you think about when you have a challenge like that? I mean, this was already created. So you had to sort of figure out how to adapt something that was already there and make it work. You know, it went from being, you know, something that wasn't so great to being the star. Yeah, I think it's a great example because, uh, um, it might have worked for some people. They might have liked it as is, right? But um, big believer in the, how we lead, uh, learn, and teach um, in this country is severely flawed, right? We tell um, children and adults that um, children, when they're ten, that they're not good at mathematics, right? And they're not good at science, and they're not good at um, what English, right? And for their entire life, um, you're going to be. I hear this all the time. I'm not good at math, right? And that's from adults, right? Because they were told when they were twelve, when they were ten, they weren't good at something. That's uh, absolutely, absolutely absolutely absurd. So, so we really try to understand that and um, give people multiple chances to, to, yeah. to interact with that content. Maybe if they experience it a little different, um, they, would, um, they would be empowered by it and then they would um, buy into it and they would participate and they would like it. So um, for children, but also adults, we want to take adults that are um, 50, 60, 70, 90 um, and give them a topic that um, uh, the human genome or, or, or like I said, Einsteinian physics they, they didn't understand before. Um, 
And um, but now they're empowered. Wow, I get it. Right. So that's where we want to we want to be. Right. So. Do you ever create something that in your studio and among your team, you feel like it's going to work? And then when it gets kind of out in the environment, it just doesn't work the way that you hoped. Has that ever happened? Never. No, that's a joke. Um, yeah. The, um, I always tell everybody, every idea I have personally, I think is brilliant. I think uh, everything I, every idea is brilliant, right? But then, yeah, um, luckily enough, because um, we are design, we're ideation, design, technology, fabrication. So we can design and build anything, right? So um, have an idea. This is amazing, right? And then, but then we prototype it, right? We build it, we user test it, and finally, holy moly, it's not as good as I thought. Or maybe it is, but it's being used in a completely different way. Or maybe it completely fails, right? So, um, so a lot of that is, um, you know, um, uh, having an idea, getting out there really quickly, um, uh, uh, um, build it, not paper test, but actually build a working prototype and see what works, right? And being open to the fact that, wait, Maybe um, that 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 uh, that the idea that I had or we had is not very good or can be improved, right? So you have to be open to that. I'm wondering, you know, when you are creating something um, to connect with an audience, an immersive experience, um, you're influencing them, right? How they learn and how they understand a concept. But at the same time, you mentioned the importance of understanding what matters to your audience. So they have to influence you as yeah. well. And it's a little bit of a two-way street rather than just one way. And whether you're, you know, a business executive creating a, a PowerPoint for an audience or whether you're creating an immersive experience like you roll out at a museum, which is, you know, way harder to build and way cooler than a PowerPoint. In both cases, there's this importance of understanding what matters yeah. to your audience. Yeah. And so I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that and how you get that audience insight, what you learn from it. Maybe there's an example there because um, I think every leader has to know how to do that. And you do it at a scale that is just so different from most people. Don't want to be creepy here, but um, uh, tracking is really important. Back in the day, you really didn't have, you can build something, put it out there, it's successful. Awesome. Right? Now, with the, you know, our content management systems and, and the way we track, we can tell for the most part um, what's being used and what's not, right? Not going to be creepy with the information, but um, it's uh, um, we build something, we see people playing with it, that works, that's amazing. But over time, you'll see that, okay, maybe that was the opening and you know, it's a different feeling there or something like that. But but just being able to track it that um, only 10% of the audience is doing this versus 90% um, is doing this so you can expand. Um, I like to say that we don't hard code things as much uh, as we could. So we have those opportunities to um, to adjust, you know, to modify, right, to change things. We thought something would be um, valuable at 10 seconds, that maybe it needs to be 15 seconds or maybe it needs to be two seconds, right? But really take that um, information in. And also, don't be afraid to be wrong, right? So I said before, like every idea that I have, I think is brilliant, right? And then and uh, in reality, that's not true at all, right? But, um, but you have to be open to that, right? To say, okay, okay, I, I see what they're doing and how things are changing. And um, and sometimes you don't like those changes. Some of the changes, you know, I don't like, you know, I wish that people would um, be more attentive to certain things and they're not. And you just kind of uh, sometimes have to accept part of that and then kind of build on that, so. Uh, Molly, you've worked on a lot of high profile projects. One of them um, is the Intrepid in New York. And I wonder yeah. if you could, could, could talk about how that came to be and, and um, kind of what that project means to you. 
Yeah, the U.S. is intrepid. It's an aircraft carrier that's um, uh, right off the um, uh, stock on the west side of uh, um, New York City. And uh, way back when we started in uh, 2003, um, that's when we started, but it was a little after that. We were asked to uh, to come up with a proposal. They had a new exhibit called um, Hollow Heroes, right? And we thought that was interesting, but we also thought we were maybe too small at the time to design and build that. So we were just kind of just getting started. And they encouraged us to um, to put in a bit. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll put it, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And then um, honestly, I was a little conflicted um, because I have my own views about things. Um, but, um, and I, that's not a world I know um, at all, um, you know, military, US military and, and such. But um, we um, decided to, we're going to go into this, but we're going to modify it a little bit and shift it from Hall of Heroes to, um, to heroic journeys. So it really became about um, um, heroic moments, right? Because we can do amazing things in our life. We can do amazing heroic things. And we can be very bad or the other way around. Like, so it's really um, important to know that. So we, um, for that um, proposal, we did a, um, a prototype, experiential prototype, and it really helped us get the gig. But um, we created this room where you'd walk in and when he walked in, there was a woman um, on a projection that was larger than life, dark background. She was holding a letter, looking down somber. And when you walked in, your presence would trigger her to read the letter. And the letter was from her son who had, who had passed in, 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 uh, in a war, right? And could no longer speak, right? So we um, presented that to the, um, to the, uh, to the client and um, they really liked it. They, they loved it. Um, and it, Came, it really became, um, said the hardware of war, it became the, um, the, uh, the, the um, personal side of, uh, of that. So, so we built that um, exhibit. We had exhibits that you would walk into a room, um, uh, you would sit on a bench on the perimeter. There was a really abstract lit ceiling above, it's only audio. Um, and you would hear first person narratives of um, when they were in battle. And why they um, didn't run away or, or they did this or that. So we tried to understand those moments. Um, for that project, um, we were introduced to the Secretary of the Army. Um, so um, we went to the Pentagon, went to Walter Reed, went to San Antonio. We interviewed over 200 active military personnel, um, veterans, um, uh, and really dug down and you know um, uh, who, who they were and what their experience were. I did not expect this. I was really, I'm um, just um, really blown away with how amazing everybody was, right? And it's a world that was so foreign to me and I could have my own political slant on things and stuff, but um, uh, they were incredible. So I was able to to really learn um, as, a, as, a, um, as a visitor maybe, right? To um, something I didn't understand. I started to understand a little bit, right? So we could that helped us help the visitor understand what they were going through. So. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to hear how you work on such a variety of projects from, you know, a giant mouth to learn what the strongest tooth is to, you know, sharing stories from somebody who, um, you know, was killed in action. I mean, these are like, you know, very different, but at the core of it, it's all about figuring out how to get that story to connect with the audience. And I wonder, you know, when you started, we weren't all, you know, you were at the American um, Museum of Natural History, for example, before you started the company, people weren't using their phones the way they do today. And I wonder if you could talk about how that change in society um, has impacted the way you work. 
I think there's some good things and some bad things, but regardless, it is what it is. So it's here, right? So um, uh, we do a lot of work for the National Park Service and state parks too, right? So um, we'll do um, design and build uh, exhibits uh, for them, signage, uh, QR codes and that kind of stuff, right? Uh, signage. But um, a great example is uh, Green Lakes is a um, state park in upstate New York. And it looks like the Caribbean. It's blue. It's phenomenal, right? And it's the property and the, and the um, uh, minerals in the lakes. Um, but it has a very pedestrian um, path around it, right? So, um, and we did some exhibits for them and some signage. So I would say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, your experience walking around that lake would be drastically different, right? So our job is to come in there and, and help enhance the experience as the visitors would walk around through signage, um, uh, whatever, AR, um, QR codes, what, whatever we needed to do. Um, so in the past, I think people would have walked the path, they would have looked at things, they would just experience it a little different. Right? Now, often, especially the younger folks, they experience it through the lens of that phone. They want to know where the best, best place for a selfie is, right? That's really where their uh, mind is through the entire, entire trip around the lake, right? So, um, so it's different. So, but if you know that you can tailor the experience, right? So, you know, okay, they're looking for these spots, right? So this is where the, the munchat is. And this is where the, 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 um, the best picture is going to be. So you build around that, right? So, so that's really important. Um, do you think, uh, um, some of the phones are great with sharing information, you know, um, it's still going to stay in the natural park realm. If you um, saw a plant or saw a wildlife, you can document that. You can share it over time. It can be part of a database. So that's that's really good, right? So I think um, there's a lot of positive positive things, but it definitely shapes how we um, um, uh, do the work that we need to do. So yeah, if you know they're coming in looking for a good spot to take a selfie, you can leverage that to create an experience that accomplishes, you know, your goals. I mean, I think yeah. that that's a really smart way of thinking about it, that we can apply to many things. You said before, you know, you sometimes have an audience that ranges from, you know, age two to age 90. And I think many leaders um, have identified cross-generational communication and issues as one of the things that they have to deal with in the workplace. You know, we have more generations in the workplace than we've ever had before. Um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, and then you yourself were on the board of, of SAGE, um, which maybe you can talk about. So I wonder what advice you have for other leaders around cross-generational communication from the work that, that you do. Cool, we start with that SAGE. SAGE is an organization that um, advocates for um, LGBT elders. Um, LGBT elders historically have had, um, I think, um, some unique challenge challenges when they grow old, they maybe don't have the family network that um, uh, others might have, right? So um, it's important that uh, we um, take care of our um, elders, but also that we learn from them. We don't learn that history, right? Which is really um, critical. Um, so when you talk about cross-generational learning, um, it's equally important uh, to, to not lose that history, right? So you can, you can put something on the table, content on the table, but then you have a chance to um, add content by that, that those cross generational um that cross generational communication right so you have that initial content the foundation whatever it is you know but then you can add this um this uh this communication on top of that which is um, incredibly important so we are very conscious of that um of uh, sometimes you have to create exhibits honestly that are just for six year olds right but um but when you have an opportunity 
um, to uh, to create um, opportunities where uh, um, it could be more of a um, uh, cross-generational experience. We do so. You gave a cool example earlier with the gravity wall. Um, the interaction is exciting for anybody of any age, but then it sets up a parent to sort of teach and recap, you know, what they know or what they're reading in that exhibit back to their kid. And so it kind of brings the generations together in that way. And I think have more experiences that do that would be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And I do. And, you know, things are happening fast. Our attention spans are shorter. And, you know, we need to preserve that history, learn from that history, good and bad, right? So we do. Over the last couple of decades, I mean, you, you've created these experiences that have touched, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of, yeah. of people, probably millions. Um, what do you wish you knew when you started your company 20 plus years ago that you know now? Um, that's, that's a really good question. I think, you know, when we started it, we talked about experiential learning. It was just kind of, I mean, in that, what we know today, it's just kind of starting wrapping up, right? So we were making it up as we, uh, as we went. So I don't know what we could have done then. But um, on the business side, of course, I wish I would have um, known a, a, a lot, a lot more. But um, yeah, uh, I just wish I would have a little bit more vision of um, where things were going to go, right? Because, you know, at one time things were big and then it became small. How, um, how um, in the past, like how, um, how big can we make something? Then it became how small we can make something, right? And how can we package it, you know? And yeah, so, and things uh, constantly, constantly changing. So I wish I could had more vision for, for where things were going to go. But at the same time, we're making it up as we go. And hopefully we're influencing others along the way. So last thing I want to ask you is, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about how you have to build trust and connect with clients. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned to me previously that just, you know, honesty and openness is a, is a really important way that you're able to sort of build that trust um, I, I don't know if you want to share anything just about, you know, your own journey and experience and how you're able to connect with clients in that way so that they build that trust with you and understand that, you know, you have a vision that that you're going to bring them to that they may not quite be able to see yet. Yeah, no, very conscious about that. The trust, that's the most important thing, right? If they trust you, you can do some crazy things, right? And you can work with them to to, to, to get where they want to go. But um, that, that takes trust, right? So very honest and open with them if there's an issue. Um, if there's going to be a problem, um, want to be um, right on top of that. Just make sure that they have um, everything that they need. Um, as far as the creative process, um, Moe should be, when you meet with us, that should be the highlight of your day. That's what I tell everybody that works with us, right? It really should be the highlight of the of their day. If it's not, we're doing something wrong. Because um, you you had mentioned coming to our studio and it looks like a playground, right? That's a, that's a good metaphor, right? So um, that's where we want to be. Um, when you meet with us, um, you should be um, that um, child again at preschool, um, finger painting or um, cutting out things, building blocks, whatever. That's where we want to get you. So that's incredibly important um, that that we that we get you there. I was going to add to that, but I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I think that for folks who um, have it. Oh yet... no, I was going to say one more thing. Yeah. So. Um, just because we talked about the LGBT um, um, uh, uh, focus, um, I'm trans, right? And I'm very open about that. Um, never a big deal about that. And some people ask me, do a lot of projects in the Midwest and all over the place and globally. 
and asked me, has that been a problem? And it hasn't at all. It's been a benefit because I think being honest and open with who you are empowers other people to be honest and open, right? So um, I don't say, hey, I'm trans, but yeah, for the most part, they know, right? So I do really think that um, you're creating an environment that people are, are much more um, willing to be honest and open back. And once you create that environment, I think you can um, do do really great things. Yeah, I mean, that's the foundation of trust, right? And when you have it trust, it cre it unlocks creativity um, in ways that just can't happen if everybody has walls up. Yeah, and if I, I don't trust you, I don't want to work with you. I'm sorry. So Right. I think that for folks who haven't, um, they need to go to your website and look at um, the examples that you have there or go out into the wild to the... Um, to the American Museum of Natural History or some of the other many places where you have experiences and exhibits because it is, like I said, a playground. It inspires you to think about um, how you wanna interact with other people. And even though we can't all build and wire like a gigantic mouth, it does help us as leaders think about how can we understand what's going to be exciting and entertaining for an audience and draw in their curiosity and how do we connect with them? And how can we create experiences um, that in a really noisy world um, are going to um, draw people in and you know eliminate distractions for a second? Um, so I love the work that you do. It's inspired me. And uh, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today to talk oh. about how you get to those incredible results. Of course, it's been fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. If you know a leader who should be featured as a chief influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time.